always um, in uh, in giving Dhamma talks one uh, a practice as as monks is just to is to not think about anything or uh, or or like give a lecture or prepare any notes or anything like that just to you know, say the the words the homage to the the Buddha and then let your mind go quiet and uh, reflect a wish to offer something for the welfare of others and then see what happens <laughs> it's a interesting practice actually it it does um, point I think if every if any of you ever you know with your minds are thinking all the time you ever actually said to yourself right think of something and think <laughs> but if you don't think about thinking then you think quite naturally it happens all the time doesn't it This is a, day the fourth evening of the retreat, obvious remark. Um, trying to just settle into this, this way, which is a different, is using very normal objects of experience, so normal that we can't really get geared to that level of normality. It's too normal for most of us, most of the time just breathe and walk up and down and, and the, even the attitudes are, are so so bare so uh, uncomplex so just uh, know the way things are notice this arising, ceasing, coming, going just keep coming back to the breath simple instruction um, this, this kind of simplicity of the of, of what is being described, or the simplicity of the practice. Buddhist practice is, is totally simple, actually. It's so simple that, that our complicated minds completely bung up at trying to at trying to get to to that simplicity. We're just always overloading with thoughts and and the frustration of trying to gear up a highly complicated uh, brain and mind and you know, emotional complex. To a very simple thing, it's just kind of like trying to play the piano with gloves on. You kind of the the, the it's just so complicated. Everything that occurs is a repercussion, a thought, and a reflection, and a memory, and an association around, it, isn't it? And this is just that that our our lives are, are based upon connecting and associating and remembering and planning. So much of the time, this gets just conditioned into the way that we we respond to our experience. Well, you see, this is the way it is. This is we say this is the result. No, it's not a something one intends to do. It's it's the result of the way that we get uh, conditioned by our upbringing. By always having to comment, always having to have an opinion about something. We're always thinking about everything. 
rather than just doing things. And so this faculty we have developed to an enormous degree that the intellectual capacity, we may not think we're geniuses, but the, the, the quality of the thought may not be necessarily always brilliant and stimulating, but the quantity of it is sure plentiful, copious and vigorous. Because this is one way in which uh, human beings, when we, we no longer really have to uh, manifest so much physically on the planet, we, are, we don't have to go out and wrestle with bears or uh, hunt for our food or you know, do, do very much physical stuff. We, maybe we, we uh, say, maybe if we're mechanically minded or we, we, uh, we're engineers or whatever, that we're using our hands. But this is increasingly less and less part of our life. And even then, it's only an occupation. Most of the time, one, one's brain takes over and we think of ways, labor-saving devices, where one won't actually have to do anything for oneself. But we, we become abstracted from actual contact. You want to speak to somebody, phone them up. Phones, computers, cars, elevators and so forth, the, the ways we move around are, are not really associated with just the physical nature, physical reality. And the way that we relate to each other and ourselves is, is very conceptual. We have an idea, we form opinions about ourselves and each other. And these are... And our lives are often motivated and directed towards having opinions about ourselves. To not have an opinion makes you sound a bit dull or daft. You don't know. <laughs> it's the, it's the kind of one sure way to, to seem like a, a, a wet a drip. What's your opinion about? And then you, you know, you've got to have an opinion about the ecology, global politics, and, um, gay liberation or whatever, some kind of view. Well, you don't. What's the matter with you then? The freedom to speak, the freedom to have one's own views is a highly treasured one in a, in a Western society, isn't it? Think what I like, say what I like, and this is a great thing to be able to do. So even when one really doesn't have anything to say or think, we want to say it and think it. So that one feels, you know, that, that you're really making use and fulfilling your life. But this tends to overstimulate and overemphasize this this aspect of our of our existence. We have, as a, as a species, cultivated in vast intellectual store ideologies religions, cultures, philosophies, sciences, etc. Just think of the different, even just something like the different political ideologies that there are, and the, the sub-strands of them, and the kind of different ways in which we can arrange a society, which is in itself a kind of an idea. Yeah. 
or the different religions, the way that we can define, say, uh, the the spiritual impulse in us, which is an impulse towards wholeness or unity, or to overcome that that sense of, of, of separation, to feel enriched. How do we define the spiritual impulse? Uh, a recognition that somehow we're not just um, like animals walking around on our hind legs, eating, sleeping, reproducing, dying, and that's it. There's something more, a feeling that either there is or there should be, or a need for something more than that. A need to understand the mystery of life, a need to, to comprehend that to know like why, who, what makes us, what makes us move, what is the nature of the universe, what's the order of it. And then the, the vast idea, ideas and, and uh, religious ideas that, that have tried to explain that. Shamanism, the primitive animists, to the, to, to the most recent um, religious side of Christian fundamentalism or whatever, New Age religions, Baha'i and so forth, great um, cosmic plans for the way the world, the universe really is. And, you know, so that, that a, when a person is trying to figure out what to do, actually life is extraordinarily complex, isn't it? Because to just to try to understand any, any one of these religions, let alone the philosophies or the sciences or the, you know, it's, it's just more than you, your brain can take. So we can very well think, what, what can we do? Now, just this very predicament should, I think, rem- begins to remind some of us, people who like, who look for meditation, that actually, it's become totally impossible to 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 hold all of the all of the ideas that there are. You, you can't it can't be done. Not with the brain. You just you know we've gone over the top of what the brain can actually legitimately store or hold. So there's this turning away towards. Well, let me say, what does it feel like if we want to rather than defining uh, God? What does it feel like? What's God feel like? Or what does truth feel like? Tell me how it feels like. So this this inclination towards uh, Gnostic or direct experience, towards a meditation, a contemplative experience, is a very accurate one, actually. Away from theory. But when you when you take up this path, remember... Or, or bear in, in mind that this is a movement away from ideas, from ideology. No matter even though I talk and give you these ideas, that's because there really isn't. I'd like to just kind of sit up here and beam at you all, kind of from an ethereal plane, this non-verbal. Just sit here for nine days with a soft, serene smile on my face and twinkling eyes. That would be really like to do that. But I think you... <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how many people could take that or... 
you know, kind of hold up a flower and say, this is the way it is. But most people need something a little more complex than that. We've got so something to think about to to deal with the way that they, they think. So we give you these these ideas and reflections. But notice also that you that um, most of this stuff you forget almost as soon as the talk is over, because <laughs> <laughs> it's not you're not actually learning anything. It's not like I'm saying there are five of these and add six to that and this is how you do it. You know? it just kind of drifts through something maybe shifts or changes or enlightens or or there's a certain clear clearing but actually you don't really learn anything on the, on the level of ideas maybe you get a few pointers you know like you're pointing to the sense of self or holding letting go um, peace patience it's fairly intellectually fairly um, simple ideas Impermanence, you know, it's not a, not a really difficult notion to 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 think of. But when so I'm giving fairly easy, simple ideas, basically because I'm not really trying to engage the the brain very much to go through the brain goes in, into something that actually is meaningful to practice. Not very meaningful as an idea, but meaningful to practice. You know, change, to really bear that in mind, almost like a, if you have it almost as a mantra. Change, change, change. Things do this. Everything arises, passes away. Simple things such as that. Or taking refuge in Buddha, in the knowing the truth, the way it is, and um, the skillfulness, good practice. And actually doing these, trying to sustain this. Uh, But, because this is what your aspiration is really, it's not um, towards an accumulation of more ideas to think about, but towards something you can actually experience. As you take up and follow this path, recall that if you, that it is a movement away from uh, thought and the structures of thought. Those two. Now, by the structures of thought, I mean very much the ideal world. The uh, idealism. We are very idealistic. And I believe it or not, I, you you're you're idealistic. You have you're high-minded. You may not, after a few days of looking into the bottom of the barrel, you may not think you're especially high-minded. But one who even looks into the way things are, it's a pretty high-minded thing to do. <laughs> you know, it's much easier to. There's plenty of opportunities to not look, aren't there? Plenty of opportunities to distract yourself and get it, get away, but something in one actually keeps bringing one back to look into areas that can be boring, excruciatingly painful, or a bit confusing. Not really very much at all. There, but there is that 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 aspiration. But that aspiration is not something to 
to the with that is a thought. So, as most of our expression of our being comes out through thought, we we tend to create or look for high ideals of, of thought. Like we create high ideals of ourselves rather than realize that we already are pretty high as as human beings. Pretty refined creatures, really, say, compared with a, a cave bear or a sloth or a pig. And on the human plane, then, then also pretty refined sensitivity. On the, just what, on what human beings do, you know, you can see that the life uh, of the average human being on this planet is not especially refined compared with, say, sitting, keeping the eight precepts, sitting in a meditation retreat, watching the breath, or trying to watch the breath, being silent. The uh, this human life is a lot of it is about just kind of fairly. Um, unimportant excitement, sports, running around, drinking, dancing, boogieing around, zipping here and there. And these are are fascinating things for human beings, people punching each other about, people pay millions of dollars to watch men punch each other, bleed, and people rip each other's arms off. It's really fascinating. <laughs> you know, get, you know, people just kick a leather ball around on a field. It's great huge men running around, beating each other. And people go absolutely crazy over that. Or with a little wooden stick knocking a ball. <laughs> running around in circles. This is the sort of thing that human beings get really excited around. (laughs) I don't get excited about watching the breath. It certainly does bring up some passions, but it's not a fascination watching the breath, it's the frustration of not being able to do it. Well, you know, that's the kind of passions it brings up. Now, our high-mindedness, you have to trust this rather than than just transmute it into thought, because we can get lost into all kinds of projections from this sincere aspiration to be to, to be wise, to rise up, to, to get beyond suffering, to get beyond attachment and greed and hatred. This is a very good aspiration, but if you think it, then you end up Always, you're not re- you 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 re- don't meditate on it. You don't you don't trust the meditation to do it. You try to always through willpower or some idea repress, struggle, complain, feel really irritated with yourself for these things because you think about them. You may not think you know profound, illuminating thoughts, but there's definitely. The thought consciousness engages. Oh, don't do that! Oh, here I go again. Why don't I ever learn? Shut up! Stop that! Don't be like this, like that. How many times have I told you? Uh, you know that is thought, isn't it? 
I came here to be enlightened, or at least a little bit wise, and I'm going completely crazy. <laughs> is, is a thought. It's the way that we think. Because the path of direct experience means in order to, to be released from this, you have to actually know it as it is. Right, touching the earth. To be, to be released from the world, you have to touch the earth. You actually have to enter that and work from within that, from within the doubt or the confusion or the aggression, to work from within that with a, a mind that is um, clearer or pure, a mind that has a certain, has is not attached to like the Buddha mind, the awakened mind, the knowing mind, not the thinking mind. So that, a lot of us just gets to that point when we see, or we begin to appreciate something churning or stirring or holding and we back off. What's that? Don't do, don't be like that. Stop that. How can I, how can I deal with it? How can I cope with it? I can't handle it. I, you know, and then a fear arises. I can't handle it. I don't know. How can I do this? The I comes up. Thought and the I come up. And they've never been able to handle anything, actually. If you look at it, if you really reflect on it, how many times have you ever been able to handle anything? What happens is, say, things get handled and then this I comes and says, I, I handled that, that was pretty good. Thought is always a latecomer. The party's over and thought and thoughts come in and say, oh, that was a great party. The battle's finished and the thoughts come along and say, oh, I just won the war. But the, with the thought is always an, uh, the, the shadow, the aftermath, the thing that follows behind the event. You know, it's you know, like, even if looking at the sense consciousness, you see something, and then you think about it. You have to actually have the experience before you can think about it. If it, you know, I mean, you can imagine it, but a thought that's really related to an experience comes after. So we can't, we can never have a direct experience of anything by, through the, the thought of it the idea of it. We can never think of purity. We can never really think of enlightenment or of oneness or of unification or or these because these have to have happened. And essentially this this path is leading us towards say the 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 knowing which is beyond abstraction. Thought is always in terms of this and that. It's an abstract, isn't it? We, we step back and we form an idea. But the unification of our mind, the wholeness or the, the, the religious experience of oneness with the divine, with the sublime, the total, the, the, the dropping away of the sense of separation, you can't abstract from that. You can't be there, not being there. Here I am, not being here. And that the, and then as long as there's that holding on, trying to conceive it or think of it, we're never really going to enter into oneness. 
oh, I'm just, you know, maybe this, just this very idea, maybe you think, well, I'm coming to end into oneness anyway. But, or the Buddha said the end of suffering, try to express the, the spiritual goal in that way. Suffering and the end of suffering. Suffering always, uh, the way the Buddha expressed it, is not just physical pain, which is certainly unpleasant, but the suffering that we can put an end to is this hanging on, grumbling, feeling offended by, wondering why it's this way, wishing it wasn't this way, wishing it was that way, that mulling over, chewing up feeling in the heart when we can hang on and hang on and hang on and worry and whinge and whine and and feel really unhappy. That, That can be ended. And that experience is always a, a separation from the way things are. We're thinking the way things should be is this, and why isn't it this way? I wonder how is it? How are things anyway? What is? So it's not actually knowing the way things are. It's either conceiving of the way things are, conceiving of the way things should be, wanting them to be this way or that way. The suffering is is a separation from experience, and a comparing it and a contrasting it with with some idea of the way it should be, which at that time is always just an idea, a projection, an ideal, which may be a very good idea, but right at that very moment it's not what's happening. Consider it's just in your practice, you know, if you're, you like like, being well-intentioned, high-minded yogis, I'm sure that you would you think I would like to be, you know, I don't want to necessarily even be enlightened, but just be a little bit reasonable, peaceful, and uh, pleasant, tolerant, kind, easygoing. There's a few nice things. I could give up the, the big cherry, but just a little, little bit would be nice. And then if you, even, even if you have that, a kind of half a cherry of an idea, then the moment that some unpleasant, ugly feeling arises, there's the that gets magnified, doesn't it, by by the fear, the aversion, the struggle, the conflict. And certainly we should. We should be good and kind and peaceful and noble and so forth. But the way things are is that this, in this sense, consciousness, this sensory realm, is that the sense, senses only have three ways of reacting. They either like something or they dislike it, or they, they, they just feel confused and they don't quite know what to make of it. So, I, so with that, you know, that magnified, you can imagine, brings up feelings of, say, wanting, liking, attraction, wanting more of. Is there anything that you like that you wouldn't like more of? Isn't that the automatic response? Something you like more. Immediate. Whether you think it or not, that's the immediate response, isn't it? Don't say, something I like, don't give me any more of that. (laughs) More. And then you have some more and then more. 
more, 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 more. There's something you dislike. No, don't don't want don't want this. Don't like it. So there's bound to be just on the just as long as that senses are operating, then that's going to be the kind of uh, react chain of reaction that you have to witness. Liking more greed, not liking aversion, and so forth, and it magnifies up into into craving. Or, or, or anger and malice. And then they're not quite knowing, in the middle, can become either bored, dull, lethargic, stupefied, or doubt. There's these kind of unknowing qualities that go that way, don't they? So this is what we uh, can expect from the, just the sensory consciousness. Not very ideal, is it? Pretty grim sounding picture. It's not an, it's not ideal. You never find anything ideal in the sensory realm. You find things are the way they are. But they don't match up to our, our aspiration to, to say find fulfillment, Peace, unity, uh, an end of suffering. You won't find it in, the, in there. Now, as most of us experience something, I, I would suggest, other than just, you know, a total moment by moment battery of greed, hatred and delusion. I, I, I don't think it's like that. It may seem like that sometimes. But, I think most of us experience feelings of joy, of love, of compassion, of patience, of forgiveness, of tolerance, of and so forth. Yeah, most of us experience qualities that are not just simply explained by sensory, by sensory experience. Then if we think about them, we can think, well, I'm, you know, I'm just being kind because I'm trying to, trying to uh, repress my basic aversion to everybody. The, the, the thought forms can go that way, can't they? I'm really corrupt and greedy, but I'm trying to I'm trying to avoid facing up to that. So I'm being generous and kind. But then you have to know for yourself, really, whether those those, those feelings that are that are spiritual are come forth, or whether when they arise, there's a natural springing out of the heart. In my mind, I, I don't think I'm a particularly special, unique kind of human being, but those feelings tend to arise quite... I don't have to conceive them. I don't have to think, right, now, any moment now, how can I figure out how to be generous or kind? It just feels, it arises. Sometimes I can't always express it. I go around kissing everybody, or I haven't got anything to give you, really, apart from this teaching. But I do have these these feelings kind of springing out of my my mind whenever I stop thinking about myself or something. There's a kind of relaxation, and I'm aware of the way things are. Then feelings of compassion, uh, concern for the welfare of others, and so forth. Rather beautiful things happen when I, when I relax a bit. When some of that intenseness and self-centeredness and the mulling over of thought and the 
wondering and the doubting and the trying to make it this way and the not trying to be like this and when actually one takes a break from that and walk outside and think, oh how lovely the hills are a joyous feeling arises in the mind quite quite naturally not as a result of anything we figured out or learned or attained is it you don't attain those feelings how to attain love, loving-kindness, go to a course on how to attain it. It's right there when we stop trying to attain things. And the the, uh, the path of enlightenment is this way. When we stop trying to attain anything, we, there's this weight comes off our back, and we feel clear and lightened. And so that when there's a total dropping of, of the, every kind of burden of the oughts and the shoulds and the conceiving and the contriving, then this is called complete enlightenment. And it's quite a natural process. And it has to be done steadily. And this is the, fundamentally you're engaging the heart, or not, no longer, no longer thinking about things, but you're directly experiencing the way things are. Even the, the unpleasant. Until there's no longer any shying away, any abstracting out of disgust, or aversion, or, or, or despair. We no longer even despair about ourselves. This is the way it is. Because even that's a kind of waste of time and indulgence, really. To always be complaining and criticizing oneself. It's not really being honest, it's, it's wasting time. The basic dishonesty of that is that we are dishonestly, there's this dishonest act of identifying with what is just the conditioned reality. The lie of it is to, is not that there, there certainly there is uh, fear, greed, depression, aversion, and so forth. But that there's an I having it, owning it, is a lie. You never find that. You may find a thought, you may find an emotion, a feeling, a memory, a reaction, but you never find any individual quality walking around, owning it, creating it, having it, anywhere. Yes, I never found. I certainly found plenty of, of experiences, but nobody who has them. They just seem to come uh, when I don't want them really. Or when there's a feeling of not wanting, they, they, they arise, they pass away. I can't really explain them. And come up with all kinds of ideas, thoughts about them, and analyze them. But actually, if I'm really honest, I don't really know why. I'm this way, why I was born, what happens when I die, and so forth. Just, this is the way it is. We don't own, there's nobody owning this body, is there? There's no, nobody owning this mind. If you owned it, I guess you'd probably make it different. What it is. Probably make it like a computer. But perhaps more celestial an IBM with wings on it.
it's uh, strange that our very idealism makes it difficult to has to be overcome has to be seen through has to even that has to be put aside to to experience the way things really are and to work within those enlightening them by ceasing to contend judge expect anything else ceasing to move away from them and within the way things are we begin to practice the spiritual path of patience, kindness, benevolence knowing attention, looking into, investigating curiosity you know, we're practicing meditation in, in, into uh, the way into the way we feel these are not obstacles to meditation these are the this is the the thing that we're meditating in order to develop the strength to to come to terms with the buddha the the famous scene of the buddha is the buddha is enlightened surrounded by the host of mara if you ever seen that picture the Buddha's enlightenment is surrounded by every kind of ugly, nasty, hobgoblin, ogre, sprite, most unpleasant experience it must have been. You know, this, this, uh, this symbolic um, emblem of the enlightenment practice is actually surrounded by the host of every kind of delusion, doubt, worry, aggressiveness, fear, trembling, and so forth. And it's in there that the awakened touches the earth. This is the way it is, but it's impermanent and not self. This is just the way it is. When one has when one has put aside the even the hope, then the conflict dies and the host disappear. You have to actually do this yourself, of course. I'm just giving you a suggestion. Now, the when you do this internally, we also we in practicing Dharma we do it externally towards others. Now, uh, just talking to some people today, we were commenting how that the one gets very, very critical. In intelligent people, are very, very critical. The the thinking mind is is an exceptionally critical one. It deals and is developed in terms of being able to separate this from that. If you're a good thinker, it means you can define everything, you can divide up a cake into a million pieces, you can say why this is this and that's that. This is what being a good thinker is about, being able to to analyze and dissect and form and see things in many in, in complex detail. And whatever we uh, engross ourselves with, we, we think about whatever we involve ourselves with, we think about it's our, it's our normal mode of, of coming to terms with something have a good think let me think about this, let me think about Buddhism let me think about what I'm going to say 
we get that's our normal way of anything that we're really getting interested in or, or or where we live. Now, say we was saying just that like on retreat situation, I've noticed this myself when a retreat situation one can get very, very critical. Because this is where we are, this is this is the only place we are right now. There's nothing to do particularly except to think. There's the meditate, but actually with the outlet is, is what tends to happen is the energy is overflowing to thought. So we start defining each other, analysing each other, guy in the back where we shift the eyes and you know, looks like a psychopathic type to me. <laughs> She walks too heavy, she thumps on the floor when she comes in, no one crashes through the door, she eats too much. Da 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 da. And, kind of, and then, of course, it, uh, or the, the, I, the, the place itself, you know, you start getting critical of the place itself. It's a bit dirty here, tumble down there, you know, or, or so and so forth. For me, sure, you must have. Tore me to shreds, my <laughs> and then of course the yourself, you know, the, which is the one you really take the big stick to, because as much as you live in at the moment in in, in this big house, and the, as much as you live, say, in the company of others, the one that you're constantly with, or that you think you're constantly with, is your image of yourself. So that and that is the thing that you're most concerned with. So there's an engrossment, and with that engrossment we think about ourselves, and then we analyse and criticise constantly, every dissect, every every movement, every mind state, every experience, into the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, and the, you know, personae come up in a, in a mind-boggling procession. Images of oneself being, you know, everything from a kind of the most instinctive base drives to the most kind of curiously distorted um, ghostly forms. I think we're kind of getting spaced out, going nutty, or totally, you know, you have a. You know, Feel a bit sleepy in the afternoon. You feel you think you feel absolutely dreadful about that, and so on. So attention. Now this is the the the, the you have to be careful with something like we say attend, concentrate on, bring your mind to bear on. Be careful with that mincing machine in in your in your skull. Don't. It's not that you're bringing to bear on it. It's not the chopper. The, the dissector, the analyzer. And you just use that very lightly, knowing, touching, knowing the feeling. Keep it, you know, just use it for that much. It's no change, feeling, sensation. No things like hunger, tiredness, happiness, you know, walking, breathing, sleepy, dull. Uh-uh. And then, Use the, the heart as, as the actual responder to that when we feel bitter, annoyed, irritated, then you use the heart. Don't use your mincing machine on it. 
Well, then use the, the, the thought consciousness. Well, if you, it's like if you've got a fox starts stealing your chickens, you don't don't go and complain to the wolf about it. If something's going, like if you're having a conflict in your mind, don't start, don't bring that to the thought consciousness, because that's where the conflict is most magnified. You actually, as soon as you start to think about it, you make the conflict far, far worse. The mind, the brain, the thinking consciousness can only magnify the sense of separation, abstraction, dissection, fragmentation. The heart <coughs> is the, the unifier. Now, I'm not talking about the the organ of the, the blood, I'm just using a word for something that may have a significance for you. We could call it the spirit, soul, mind, but there, there is that. There's a the, the where that where is our awareness, the, and it's a comprehensive, comprehending, and a and a united, a cohesive quality. When we say we, well, we use expressions like "put your heart into it," and you know what that means. So that's whatever wherever that is, or however you like to conceive that. That's what that's what I mean. That's why. Sattā, faith, is very important, just to develop, use faith, exercises to develop faith. Because that, that, it's not that what you're developing on really matters. Here we're using things like uh, Buddha rupas and images and, and so forth. It doesn't really matter what you use, but it is very necessary to, 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 to exercise the heart till it becomes strong and, and brave courageous, has, has a good spirit, has soul in it, we put, bring that into our life. So that instead of always just thinking about things, we, we rise up to them from the heart. When there's bitterness or regret in our lives, then we are patient, gentle with ourselves. When there's the anxiety we're soft and kind. When we feel uh, a kind of desperate need for something, and we we nourish ourselves with with benevolence. This is not something you have to think about. If you put your heart into it, then it immediately responds like that. These are quite natural attributes. So we say things such as for the, um, just as uh, on the ideal level, Buddhism is really a practice, but in conceptual terms we use things such as the, the Four Noble Truths. There is, as a guide for our, for our rational consciousness, so you've got to have something to, to, to steer with, because faith without any wisdom just is a bit, it doesn't have really the right direction. We can take it either just spaced or 
or, or start believing in things, go r- rather blind. You need some sense of direction. So it's not that you're totally discarding thought, but making thought the, the servant of Dhamma, the servant of wisdom, rather than the, the, the boss. When I was saying things like meditation on the breath, knowing the body in the body, knowing the breath and where it is, you actually put your, you actually put the, the center of consciousness, the heart consciousness onto that, and then the knowing arises into the brain, doesn't it? We know that's long, that's a short breath. We can know the ideas come up as thoughts. But they are, they have arisen from a direct experience. We're not just thinking them in advance or conceiving them. So the thoughts do arise, but they arise dependent upon direct experience rather than substituting as substitutes for that. It's not gone crazy and out of control. So the, it's not a, not a suppression, but a skillful directing and, and instructing of our thinking mind. And we're using like the Four Noble Truths, a reflective teaching. Certainly an idea, isn't it? It's uh, coming in, in idea terms. There is suffering, there is the origin, there is the cessation, there is the path. So there is suffering. This means, you know, look out for that sign and then there is the uh, origin of it. How does that work? So we've got these uh, these these markers, and then we look into this, not to in order to form some uh, conceptual notion of it, but to as as points for our attention to go into, to look into, just in a, in our life, wherever it wherever it occurs, whether we are meditating or not meditating. You know, whether we're doing an exercise or not doing an exercise, you can still, we can use the exercise to have strengthened this, uh, uh, our sensitivity and our awareness to the point where we can bring these teachings to bear in our lives. And then the whole of our life can be lived insightfully. Attachment and non-attachment. The, the, wherever there is suffering, it's because of there's some attachment holding on to something that we can't have, trying to get uh, rid of what we've got, something we got that we don't like, trying to get something we that we haven't got that we do like. This grasping, seizing. This is how it happens, isn't it? Now, teaching like that says this is how it happens, this is how it's not making a judgment really, saying this is like this. And then, whenever there is the abandonment, the letting go, the putting aside, the relaxing, then this experience of conflict ceases. And there is a path. It's like this. It's a reflective teaching. There is. It's not blaming anybody. Saying, how many times have I told you not to attach, and now you did it again, you attacked, and now you stop doing that. <laughs> stop doing that, and this is how you do it. It's not, it's not that kind of a, of a, of a nagging. 
or, or, or a doctrinal thing, thou shalt not attach, but saying, there is this notice that suffering, now ask yourself, is suffering, really look into that, there's, there's a holding on there, isn't there? Just if we, if we use these, these words, these ideas as ways of measuring it, and then when, when there isn't suffering, or when it stops, it's because something in us has, has let go, has relaxed. And once we, we've seen this, then we, we can actually begin to, to, to practice like that. And let the letting go. Now if you're idealistic about it, you, you think to yourself, I should not attach. There should be no attachment. I should not suffer. There will be no suffering. And this is, of course, setting yourself up for, for 15 rounds with a heavyweight. <laughs> Getting into the boxing ring and saying, there will be no fight. <laughs> I will win, but there will be no fight. So we're not saying we're not making it into an ideal of it, what it should or shouldn't be, but this is how it is. So when we we notice attachment, then noticing it means that that very noticing, right? If you're working within attachment, and you can probably recognise these, but you work within it, you actually experience attachment holding on, and then you work within that with a mind that is free from any idea of there should or shouldn't be. It doesn't attach. It's not holding on to anything. This is the way it is. And just that, that relaxation, just suffuses. If you allow that, if you just wait with that feeling of this is the way it is, then this peaceful quality radiates through that and something is just we we abandon we put aside we don't need to hold anymore because the the peace of of non-attachment is such a a pleasing and gentle and loving feeling that nothing is worth holding on to compared with that it's far nibbana the non-attachment is just much more pleasant than anything we can hold on to. So, unless you're a complete idiot, which I'm sure you're not, you don't, you know, it doesn't take you long to figure out this is better than that. So, we don't need that, do we? No, it just happens quite naturally. What And our practice has to be very realistic. We actually notice attachment and then get within that, really experience where that is with a mind that's free from any shoulds and shouldn'ts, aggravation, impatience wanting it to go away, not wanting to be there and so forth and this is what we call letting go of suffering now if we say it may be letting go, I should let go turns into another kind of attachment, doesn't it? which means really get rid of, go away, throw it away, dump it, stop it. So 
why these are all Dhamma has to be experienced this way rather than as ideas the Buddha said the Dhamma is like a snake if you catch it behind the head then you've, you've got it if you catch it by the tail it whips round and bites you the simile of the snake so the, the old non-attachment viper comes around and nips you pretty smart, doesn't it? When you come to the I should not attach, I should not be this way. Now in using uh, meditation objects, I mean, just in this situation as it is, remember to the idea idealistic wanting to get good results, putting a lot of effort into it, all these good qualities come, you if you grasp them by the tail, right? I have to actually, with, with mindfulness, we're bringing ourselves to just one moment, just being content to get one moment, even one moment of recognizing that we're not in the here and now, is called being in the here and now. Because the here and now, you, you can't just have an idea of that. The ideal of the here and now is always lovely and clear and bright and crisp and there's void and sunyata and so forth. But some the, the, the entrance to the here and now is into all these thoughts about the future and the past and that's what's so often uh, in our minds. You have to enter into that you want to come into the here and now and this momentary attention, a span of attention is, is pretty limited you have to strengthen it by by encouraging not by by judging or criticizing, by encouraging through every every moment of beginning again and and so forth And then we're also uh, in, in, in giving talks. We're also instructed that when you finish saying what you what you had to say, you stop. <laughs> 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 so I'll stop. But tonight.